Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good evening, everybody. You're doing well? You're awake? Great. So just maybe a side note, the verse that popped up in the middle of Family News will be our memory verse at the end of the evening. You can win a chocolate if you can quote it. Um, and the chocolate is on Yaku. <laughs> Um, but I have some good news to share with you this evening. Um, how many of you could do with a bit of good news? All right. So I found out this afternoon that earlier this week, Chuck Norris came into contact with the coronavirus. The coronavirus has been tested positive for Chuck Norris and is now in quarantine until further notice. So we're, we're good. All right. Um, I thought that was hilarious, right? but obviously not that hilarious. <laughs> Guys, but we are concluding our series where we have been talking about money. Has it been fun? Sure, it has been fun. Has it been helpful to you guys? Yeah. All right. I want to remind you, if this has been helpful and you would like to delve deeper into how to honor God through your money, um, we are starting a financial course called Money Matters starting next term. So you're welcome to sign up to get more info um, for that at the info desk. And the course will be absolutely free of charge. Um, and it will be amazing for you. So we have been basically, for the past two weeks, have been looking at three statements that if money could talk, it would actually say. And so week one, we started out and we said how if money could talk, it would say that I can add meaning to your life, but I am not the meaning of life. And so in week two, we said that if how money could talk, it would say that I'm a way better servant than what I am a master. And your self-control in terms of your relationship with me will actually determine who ends up getting control. Now, the statement that I want to chat about with you tonight is this, that if money could talk, it would say, I'm easy to keep up with, but I'm difficult to catch up with. And all three of these statements actually parallel perfectly with what Jesus said when he spoke about money. And we said that when Jesus spoke about money, he spoke about it more than what he spoke about heaven. And in scripture, there are over 2,000 verses speaking about money and possessions. When it comes to faith, there are only about 500 verses speaking about faith, which is very interesting. How many of you tonight at this very moment know exactly how much money to the T, rand and cent, you've got in the bank right now? Anybody? Okay, and it's far away from payday, so see some sad, very sad faces. All right. How many of you have more or less an idea of what is in the bank? Even if it's nothing. All right. That's, that's also something. So I want you to quickly turn to your neighbor and share with them how does knowing how much money you have in the bank make you feel? All right. Anyone having baked beans for the rest of the month? Some of you are like, baked beans are luxury, man. I'm like on, on something different. But here's the reality of all of us, all right? Your awareness of your own financial means determines and influences the way that you carry yourself, okay? Now, this is true of most of us, certainly true of me, that when I know that there's a lot of money in the bank, okay, which does not happen very often, usually at the end of the month, when I know there's plenty in the bank, I walk up straight, yeah. 
My arm hangs out the window as I'm driving. Okay, I'm, I'm the shiz, all right? When I drive down the street, I'm like, the world is my oyster, all right? I feel so good about it. But then, where we are at right now in the month, or just before payday, most of us walk fairly slouched. I see you guys. I sit on the porch in front. Then I see you guys walking to the shop. Going to get some food. When you come back, slightly slouched over because our awareness of our own means, specifically financially, influences the way that we carry ourselves. I remember a few years ago when Anel and I was considering getting engaged, I spoke to my dad about this and I told him, listen, dad, I want to ask Anel to marry me. To which my dad responded, listen, do you, do you have money to buy a ring? Okay, let's just start at the basics. And I'm like, I've probably got like 75, maybe 78 bucks in the, in the bank. I was still a student at that point. And I was just like, I didn't own anything except my car, which really wasn't even mine at that point. And so I literally owned nothing, right? And my dad and I went back and forth, and eventually he said, listen, a few years ago, do you remember you gave me a few thousand rand to buy a few sheep for you, right? And I was like, perfect, I remember that. And he said he was able to buy me three sheep, and the three sheep on the farm liked one another very much and fell in love and made more sheep, and then there were seven sheep, Right? And I was like, seven is a pretty godly number, right? And sheep are amazing, right? So I was like, okay, perfect. So I can sell the seven sheep. Now I've heard of seven carat gold rings. I've never heard of a seven sheep gold ring, right? But if you want to see what that looks like, go and look at Anel's ring. Um, that's a seven sheep gold ring. But I sold the sheep and I planned out this whole thing where we would get engaged. And I took her to Cape Town in, at the waterfront. We got into a helicopter and we flew around 12 apart around the coast of Cape Town and we flew back. We landed at the waterfront again, got into the car and I took her to a wine farm where there was a picnic already set out and I got onto my knees and I asked her to marry me that day. Now, can I just tell you that? Two weeks ago, I was at Unisi Primary School. When I came to the part where I told those little girls that and then I got onto my knees and I asked her to marry me. I was like, I was thinking they would like erupt in praise, but all of them like as the perfect choir went, ew! I'm like, what? What is ew about that? But I remember back then, in that whole process of getting engaged, was one of the first times where I experienced a tension between my heart's desires and my financial means to address those desires. And I didn't realize it back then, I realize it today, that this was going to be a lifelong tension that I would experience. And I'm sure many of you are sitting here and you have many desires, many things that you would love to buy for yourself or for your family, but your financial means is so limited that these two really never meet up ever in your life. Luke 14, verse 28 to 30 speaks into this concept where Jesus tells the parable and he says this, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build but wasn't able to finish. 
And the first thing that I notice from the scripture is that your money, whether it be much or very little, and your spending of your money makes a public appearance. It shows something to those people around you. This guy built a tower and made it public. He made his spending habits and his heart's desires public. And the reality for you and I, in the same way that the scripture says that when the people saw that the tower was not finished, they didn't ridicule the tower. They ridiculed the builder. They ridiculed the guy who decided to build a tower in the first place, saying that he aimed for this, but he fell short. See, and people will look at the way you spend your money, and they will make certain judgments about you. Whether you have very little or whether you have a lot, your financial habits makes a public statement. It makes a statement of your own awareness of your financial capacity to do what your heart desires for you to do. You need to be aware of what's happening in your finances. I remember growing up, I have an older brother, younger sister, and we reached a point in the home where my parents started teaching my sister about the value of money and how to steward money and how to manage money. And she really, at that point, didn't have any sort of understanding of the value of money. And I knew it. And my brother knew it. And we saw it. And so when my sister would get a big shiny money from my parents, I took note. And I went to my sister when my parents weren't there, and I told her, I'll trade you your big shiny money, just one money that you have, I'll trade you five very small brown monies, <laughs> when they still made those very small brown monies, for your big shiny money. And she traded me. I bore the consequences of that later on, all right? But there was really, when I perceived that she did not have a clear understanding of the value of money, I ridiculed her. I took advantage of that. And for you and I, the same applies when you are not aware of what's happening in your finances. It's a wide open door for the enemy to come in and to ridicule you to take advantage of you financially. And this might sound very simple, but the reality is it's not that you have to learn the value of money. It's that you need to grow in an awareness of your own capacity, but to also grow in an awareness of where you are spending what you have at this very moment. See, this scripture speaks clearly to the fact that when it comes to your money, there's no room for guesswork. There's really no reason for you to make statements like, I'm not sure, or that can't be, or I never knew. See, although there might be a lot of mystery when it comes to things like love and emotion and woman, there really can't be any mystery when it comes to your money. And here's why. Because a certain amount comes in every month, and then you send it places. You decide where your money goes. And if you're asking the question after this three-week series on money, where should I start? Where should I begin 
to address the issues that I'm sitting with financially. I want to tell you this is probably the best place to start. It's probably best for you to start stock taking, to start keeping track, to start recording where you are sending what God has entrusted you with at this point in your life. Quickly think of the one thing in your life that you really hate spending money on, but you know you should. Okay, you have that thing? Okay, not tax. Okay, that's an obvious one. Something other than tax. And then quickly think for a moment, what is the one thing that you love spending money on, but you know you shouldn't? Okay, there are many, right? There are so many things to think of. But the reality is this, is that your spending consists of what I'd like to call uphill spending and downhill spending. Whereas uphill spending are those people or places who you know you need to pay. So you know you need to pay your studies. You know you need to pay your rent. You know you need to pay your tax. And these people know that you don't want to pay them. And so they don't wait for you every month to pay the money over. They actually come and they take it from you. And we call that a debit order, folks. Be very careful of the debit order. But then we have downhill spending. And this kind of spending is spending that can very quickly get away from us because of what psychology today calls the what the hell effect. Okay, which basically means this, that they've proven scientifically that if you make one financial mistake, it becomes easier to make one more financial mistake and one more because if I messed up financially already, what the hell? I might just dive into this pool that I took a dump in. Financially, that is. It's uphill spending and downhill spending. And the thing about downhill spending is if you don't keep up with your money, you will end up having to play catch up. And the reality is this, that you burn way more energy trying to catch up than what you burn trying to keep up. And the energy that you burn financially when you start to play catch up is called stress, it's called worry, and it's called anxiety. That is the energy that you burn when you try to catch up. And so if money could talk, it would say this. I'm easy to keep up with, but I'm difficult to catch up with. So keep up or you'll be playing catch up. See, we've said quite a few times that more money just makes you more of who you already are. And the incredible thing that keeping track does is it has a finger and it has someone to point the finger to. When I start to record and write down where I am sending my money, then I'm pointing the finger and I'm giving the fault to someone who is usually me. So what happens when we lose track of our spending? 
And I think the answer to this question depends on whether you have little or whether you have a lot. Because what happens when you lose track in times when you have very little is the what the hell effect. That's what happens. You're already in trouble, so you might as well just get deeper into trouble. But what happens when I start keeping or when I fail to keep track in seasons where there's plenty is I just don't care. I just feel that I don't have to keep up. There's really no point in keeping up because there is more than enough. A 2019 study showed that the majority of households, whether they have a huge income or very little income, the majority of all families live paycheck to paycheck. Which proves that if you have bad financial habits today, when you get rich one day, you will maintain those bad financial habits because more money makes you more of who you already are. See, if your money could talk, it would say this. I'm easy to track, but lose track of me and you will lose your peace of mind. And I'm sure many of us, if not most of us, in this room knows exactly what it feels like to lose your peace of mind because of money. I have a personal conviction when it comes to cars, right? I have told myself that every single car that I will ever drive in my life, I have to drive until it runs out of petrol and leaves me by the side of the road. And I have kept that religiously. I now can't take it, okay? She really does not enjoy this thing. But every single car that I've ever had, I've driven till it runs out of petrol and left me by the side of the road. The car that I currently have, right, uh, Renault Duster, I've tested it. So when the petrol light comes on on my car, I still have 120 kilometers still to go, okay? In other words, when the car tells me, you're running out of petrol. When that petrol light comes on, I know there's still a journey for me to travel. <laughs> We've still got some places to go, and I now can't, she can't take it at all. But I remember in the discovery of this, there were many moments of anxiety as I was driving through Bloemfontein thinking, just don't leave me here. <laughs> Okay, let's just, just get past the bridge. You can leave me on the other side of the bridge. Just don't leave me here. And it was cause for great loads of anxiety and stress and worry for me to get to the place where I discovered how far my car will actually end up taking me. See, in many of us, we aim for financial freedom. We're hoping and we're praying and we're asking God that we would become financially free, thinking that financially free means that I will have so much that I wouldn't have to budget, that I wouldn't have to keep track. But I want to suggest to you tonight that financial freedom is not having abundance to the point where you don't have to keep track, but I want to suggest to you knowing exactly what's going on in your finances will give you financial freedom. Growing in an awareness of your own spending capacity will truly make you financially free. 
A study showed that the number of employees that are stressed about their finances increased across all generations, particularly among millennials. We win again. 71% of millennials say that their stress level related to financial issues has increased over the last 12 months. 35% of all employees report that issues with personal finances have been a distraction from work. Nearly half of those who are distracted by their finances at work say that they spend three hours or more at work each week thinking about or dealing with issues related to their personal finance. Employees admit that financial worries have impacted their health, their relationships, productivity, and time away from work. That same study found that 60% of husbands and wives say they check their bank accounts more than what they have sex. 70% of married couples argue about money more than what they argue about household chores, togetherness, sex, snoring, and what's for dinner. That's the reality. That's the impact. That's the voice that money will have in your relationships, in your job, in your heart when you lose track when you fail to keep track of where all of it is going. In Matthew 6, Jesus intros his sermon on anxiety with this statement. You cannot serve both God and money. And he goes on to explain that the moment you make a deal with money to be your master, you shake hands with money to be your master, it will give you what you want, but it will come with loads of stress, loads of worry, and loads of anxiety. And then he concludes by saying, but if you want me to be your master, if you want to shake hands with Jesus to be your master, he promises that he will look after you. He will provide for all of your needs without the worry and without the stress and without the anxiety. It's an obvious choice that Jesus is the better choice. So my encouragement to you tonight is keep up by keeping track. The same study that I spoke of earlier found that the reason people can't, spend, can't stop spending money on unnecessary things is because in the modern age we live in, the things we buy are more tangible than the money we use to buy them. Because I can sit at home, see a picture of something online, and never even exchange money with anyone physically. It was a time when Anau and I was battling financially a few years ago. And we got to the point where we implemented what we called the envelope system, which basically meant that we had a budget, and everything that did not go off via debit order, we drew the cash, and we put it in envelopes, and we marked it. Groceries, electricity, whatever it might be. And we did that probably for about four or five months. And what this taught us is that when your money, when the envelope is empty, listen carefully, the envelope is empty. It was done. But it created within us an awareness of how easily we spend our money. But it enabled us to keep track of where we were sending our money. There's a story of a family who had a little boy 
and they decided at some point when it was paycheck to paycheck season that they were going to invite a new member into the family called Mr. Budget. And so Mr. Budget came into the family. He was at the supper table. He was in bed. He was at the breakfast table. He was everywhere. He was in the car whenever we would drive around. And whenever the husband would tell his wife, listen, I've arranged with a few guys to go and play a round of golf this weekend, the wife would respond by saying, I would love for you to go and play a round of golf. But Mr. Budget says no. And then whenever the wife would go, love to go and pamper herself, she would go to the husband and say, I would love to go to the spa this weekend, if that is what the ladies do. Um, and the husband would respond by saying, I would love for you to have a weekend at the spa with your friends. But Mr. Budget says no. And they tell about how one day they were driving in the car and the little boy from the back says, Mom, can we stop for ice cream? To which the mom responds, I would love for you to have an ice cream, but Mr. Budget says no. To which this little boy said what everyone else was thinking. Mommy, can we murder Mr. Budget? <laughs> because that's what we oftentimes feel like. Whenever we put restrictions or boundaries or limitations on our spending, whenever we start exercising control over our spending, we just want to kill Mr. Budget because he just kills the party all of the time. He just cuts off every desire of my heart and he just says, you don't have the financial means to pursue this desire. See, there's a theme in Scripture where we are told that we will have to give account one day for every careless word that you and I will speak. The Bible says you will have to give account for every reckless action that you do in this life. See, but the Bible also says that you will have to give account one day for where, where your money went. And you need to know, standing before God, where did my money go? Where did I send what God entrusted me with? And this does not mean that you should have a budget because let's be honest with each other. A budget is just a theory that really reflects reality. We need something a bit more versatile than a budget. See, and if you start developing this habit of keeping track, you take the guesswork out of it. You take the uncertainty out of your finances. And Andy Stanley puts it like this. He says, when you know you're going to log it, you're more inclined to hog it. And there's a study that I found that if you are constantly reminded about how much you've already spent, it becomes more painful to pay for the next item, which applies a bit of healthy pressure for you and I. And so here's my challenge to you. For the next two months, find a way to start tracking where your money is going. For the next two months, won't you spy on your money? Won't you log where you are sending your money? Because in the paycheck to paycheck season, what it does to keep track is it takes the uncertainty out of it. And whenever you need to cut back on something, you at least know where you are sending your money currently, and it becomes easier to cut back.
But in the seasons of plenty, when you have more than enough to get by, what keeping track does is it keeps you from spending all your money on you. And it applies a bit of healthy pressure, which I believe honors God. Matthew 25 verse 14 says, Again it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Whatever God has entrusted you with, whether a lot or whether little, 100% of that belongs to him. Not only 10%. And God calls us, God invites us to honor him in the area of our finances. He even goes as far as saying in Malachi 3, test me in this. At other spaces in scripture, God says, do not test me. But when it comes to your money, God says, test me. Honor me in your, in your finances. Test me on this and see if I will not bless you abundantly. See if I will not pour out my grace over your life. So whether you want to take up this challenge or not, ask yourself this question. Do you know where your money is going? Are you keeping track? Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you, Jesus, that you call us to honor you in our finances. And I pray for grace for every person sitting here, Jesus, to keep track, to keep up. And God, I pray for those of us that need some, some, some catching up to do. God, I pray, Jesus, that you will eliminate worry and stress and fear and that you will replace that with a desire in our hearts to honor you with our money, to honor you with what you have entrusted us with. We want to be faithful stewards and managers. And I want to thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And I declare that over every person sitting here. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.